if you are new with us today, this is a very different message series, a very different message series than what we normally do. We are answering questions that have come in from our congregation, and we're not holding any of these questions back. We want to answer the very real questions that you have about faith, about God, about, about God's word, about society, and how we Christians are supposed to interact in society. I love doing a message series like this for a couple different reasons. One, we want to be completely transparent about who we are. We want to be completely transparent about who we are and what we believe. Two, if you have a question about your faith, there's probably somebody else sitting beside you that has that same question. So let's address it. Let's hit it head on. Let's answer it. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, if you have these questions, your neighbors have these questions too. Your neighbors who don't yet believe, perhaps your neighbors don't yet believe because they have never asked these questions and they have never had a satisfactory answer to these questions. And so really the heart of a series like this is to equip you with answers so you can go to your neighbors in love and in truth and help them understand exactly who God is. This series is not about us. It's not even about our questions. This series is about God and his word. And so our answers to every one of these questions are grounded in scripture, not our opinion, not what we want to do. But if we are truly chasing after God, how we answer these questions is God's way. So let's get into it. As we close this series out, this is the last Sunday of this series, we're dealing with some more practical questions and we're dealing with some questions surrounding things going on in our society. And that's what makes this message a little bit PG rated. So let's start out with a very, very practical question. A great question that many people have. How can I minister to my adult unbelieving children? So many people have this question. And listen, please let me give you some comfort. No matter what the reason, sometimes our children walk away from their faith. Sometimes our children just never had a faith in the first place. And, and if that's you, if you are dealing with this issue, I want to say a couple things to you. First, <clears throat> you are in really good company. <clears throat> if you feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, if you feel like you're not able to get through to your adult children, you're in great company because Jesus Christ expressed frustration at not being accepted by his neighbors and perhaps even his own family. Mark 6 says this, and this is Jesus' words, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. His family and his neighbors weren't listening to him. He was Jesus. So if you're frustrated, you're in good company, and it's difficult to raise Christian children. It is so difficult to raise Christian children. I will say for myself and my wife, Erin, our number one priority for our kids with a bullet 
is to raise them as disciples of Jesus Christ. There is no, we, their, their grade point average, their IQ, we can't affect that anyway. Your, your, where they go to school, what job they get, what career they go into, all those things are really important. The sports that they play, really, really important. It all pales in comparison to us raising our children to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Here's something, parents, we have to admit, we can't control that. We can't control. You might have to look in the mirror and tell yourself this, because this is a hard rub. You can't control whether your kids say yes to Jesus Christ at any point in their life. But what can you control? You can control what you do. You can control what happens within the bounds of your household. You can control how you influence your children to give them the best chance of becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. And please understand that it is never too late. It is never, ever too late to reach our children, even if they are grown. And so here's just a few pieces of advice. We, we, I chose three bullet points to share from one parent to another. There are a million pieces of great advice out there. Here are three. The first one may be the most important one when we are trying to influence anybody for Jesus Christ. Aside from prayer, this might be number two. It's this, consistency is key. When we're trying to witness or influence anybody, especially our adult children, consistency is key. Our children, no matter what their age, observe you as parents. They observe you as their parents. They see what you do. They hear what you say. And so if you are telling your kids that they should be disciples of Jesus Christ, but they see you acting inconsistently in that, and they see you not being a disciple yourself, you're going to lose credibility. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? what, What I'm really trying to say is, If we want our children to be disciples of Jesus Christ, they better see us serving. They better see us loving our neighbor. They better see us worshiping and giving and reading scripture and studying and praying. Does that make sense? First Peter gives us some great advice along these lines. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, that people see our good deeds. Having people see our good deeds is important. We are not saved by our works, but we influence based on our works. We don't take pride in our works, but we influence by our works. So friends, when it comes to our especially adult children, Let's not tell them. Let's show them. Second piece of advice for our adult children, be transparent. Be transparent. It's another side of the same coin. Be transparent with our kids. While we want to model a holy lifestyle, you know what we don't want to be is holier than thou. You understand what that term means? It means acting like we are perfect. It means looking down on other people who aren't as perfect (laughs) as we are. And that holier-than-thou attitude has driven so many people away from the church. 
I think the holier-than-now attitude has driven so many children away from the faith. It's okay, parents, to be transparent, especially with our adult children. My goodness, right? It's okay to take off the masks, parents. And Paul wrestles with this in Romans chapter 7. Paul writes, this is in the Bible. Paul writes, what a wretched man am I. (laughs) What a wretched man am I who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What if we let our adult children see our failures and see what forgiveness has done for us? By the way, parents, if if we feel like we have not done some of the best things in the past with our children, you know it's okay to come to your children and ask them for forgiveness. That's a powerful, powerful witness that demonstrates the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Third piece of advice that I have for you, and then we'll move on. Take time to point out God moments in your life. And by the way, all these points you see in front of you work for any child of any age. They really do. And, and, and those of us who have younger kids or are yet to be parents, if we do practice these things with our younger children, we are going to give them a great chance to grow into adults who love Jesus. Here's what Psalm 145 says, Great is the Lord, most, most worthy of praise. Of course he is. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation, listen to this, commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. But is that true for us? Hey, Christians, those of us who have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, who rejoice in a baptism, who love our relationship with God, are we commending God to the next generation? Are we telling about God's action in our own life to our kids? We probably should be doing that. I'm sorry, we should be doing that. We should be doing that. And by the way, the foundation of all of this advice is to pray. Pray for our kids. Let's pray right now. Father God, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you so much for your guidance. Lord God, we are desperate to reach our children, especially our children who have rejected faith. Lord God, we do not look back with regret. We don't look back with shame because you've dealt with that on the cross. And we have been baptized out of shame. But, Father God, help us to know how to reach our children and give us the comfort of knowing that it is never too late. And it is in your precious, precious Son, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. Next question. This is where we get into the PG questions a little bit. And the question is this. Should we wait until marriage? Should we wait until marriage? What a great, great question. Old school question, right? Doesn't really apply in 2022, right? Let's talk about God's desire for this. And with this question, we're truly going to get into some way of the world stuff versus way of God stuff. We're going to start differentiating what it is that God asks us to do what his suggestions are for our life and his commands for our life. 
versus what the world wants to do and what the world says. And when I say the world, I mean my own heart. Because <laughs> there's a lot of things I want to do with my life. There's a lot of things that I think are good in the moment that are absolutely destructive. And then God's way comes in. Because God will never tell us to do something that is destructive. God will only tell us to do things that are so flourishing and beneficial for our lives. So the question is, which way are you interested in following? <laughs> you get to make the choice. Do you want to follow God? Do you want to follow the way of the world? You get to make that choice. Do you want to follow God? Or at the very least, are you interested in knowing what God has to say? Let's see. Let's see. At Charter Oak Church, marriage theology is one of our eight essential beliefs. And we truly believe that the marriage covenant is far more important and far deeper and richer than any of us understand. It is so important from Genesis to Revelation. Marriage language fills the whole thing. And maybe we'll get to why in a minute. But it is so important to us at Charter Oak Church that we made it one of our essential beliefs. I want to read that essential belief to you right now, and you can find any of our essential beliefs on our website. Here's our belief about marriage. Marriage is between one man and one woman in a single exclusive union until death. God created sexual intimacy to occur only between a man and a woman within the marriage covenant. Therefore, there should be celibacy in singleness. Now, remember, we're talking about God's desire. And we are interested in at least knowing what God has to say about these subjects. But the question you might be asking yourself is, where does this come from? Where does Charter Oak Church's statement on marriage come from? Well, a man named Paul wrote many of the letters that make up the New Testament. And he had a lot to say about sexual immorality. He had a lot to say about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says this, Because there is so much sexual immorality among your church, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. Do you know what the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is? Have you, have, you, have you explored the letters that make up the New Testament? Some people think the Bible is boring. Do you know, want to know the context of why Paul wrote this? Paul wrote this, if you want to read between the lines, because there was sexual frustration within the church of Corinth. We can't talk about this stuff in church. It's in the Bible, y'all. We have to talk about it. The alternative is sweeping us under the rug, not talking about it, and doing whatever we want. Whoops. We don't want to do that. We want to be transparent. We want to chase after God's desire for us. The church in Corinth was frustrated with this tension. And so Paul is literally saying... Hey, by the way, there's nothing wrong with being single. You do not have to be married. But Paul is saying, if this is a temptation for you and you cannot overcome this temptation, then be married. 
make it official. And by the way, make it exclusive. Make it exclusive. Because God's design for marriage, we truly believe, is that it is a gift. Marriage is a gift. Intimacy within marriage is a gift. And it's such a precious gift that it be exclusive. Speaking of exclusivity, the author of Hebrews chapter 13 writes this, Give honor to marriage. Remain faithful to one another. In marriage, God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Intimacy in marriage is an exclusive gift. And you still might be asking why. You still might be saying, well, isn't this outdated? Isn't this a relic of a bygone, more conservative era or whatever we call it? May I share this with you? It's something that Paul writes in Ephesians and it sums up the issue so beautifully. Ephesians chapter 5, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He said it was a mystery. He starts by talking about marriage. Maybe it's outdated. Maybe it's not for us in 2022 who are enlightened, right? Maybe it's a relic of a bygone era. And then Paul talks about Jesus Christ. You see, friends, this is the profound mystery. If you are married, your marriage can be a reflection of Jesus Christ and his relationship with the church. Did you know that? If you are in a committed marriage that is grounded in Jesus Christ, that relationship can be a reflection of Jesus Christ and the church. You can be preaching to your neighbors by just having a thriving marriage. Did you know that? That language is all over the Bible. That is why intimacy within marriage is such a precious gift. Now, that's the way of God. That's only if we're interested in knowing what God has to say about this. On the other hand, there's the way of the world. What does the way of the world say about intimacy in general, I guess? What the world says about intimacy says that it's frivolous. The world says intimacy is frivolous. And like everything else, we can do whatever we want whenever you want. You can do whatever you want. Whatever feels good. We're going to talk about Christian freedom next question. And Christian freedom is nothing like the world's freedom. It is richer and deeper and more beautiful. The way of the world says we can do anything we want. problem with that is that whether you're a Christian or not, when you are intimate with somebody else, here we, here's where we get into PG-13. When you're intimate with somebody else, the two become one flesh. The two become one flesh. Whether you're a Christian or not, you don't have to believe in Jesus Christ to know that when you're intimate with somebody, the two become one flesh. The problem with the way the world does it is when you become one with somebody and then you do that outside of the bounds of a committed relationship in marriage and you 
leave that person and you don't see that person again and don't emotionally connect with that person ever again, you are ripping apart what has become one. And the more often you are together and get ripped apart and are together and get ripped apart, that is psychologically devastating. That is emotionally devastating. Somebody knows what I mean. And the psychological community will back up the Christian community on this one, by the way. That's the way of the world and what they believe about intimacy. God designed intimacy to be a gift, such a beautiful, precious, priceless gift to be protected, to be protected. We don't put fences around weeds, do we? We put fences around gardens. If you have a safe deposit box, you don't put trash in the safe deposit box. You put your most valuable possessions in that safety deposit box. Friends, saving it until marriage is not unnatural. Saving it until marriage does exactly what God designed it to do. Intimacy is a priceless gift. Let's pray about it. Lord God, thank you so much for just giving us your word on marriage and relationship and life. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to better understand your word. And it's in your precious son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next question. Wonderful, wonderful question. Is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? Yes. Next question. I don't... I, no, it's, it's a, no I, I want to take this with the utmost seriousness. There's no question. I am probably going to have an adult beverage during the Steeler game today. Um, it's going to go bad. Uh, so... <laughs> I'm going to, no, in, in all seriousness, this is one of those many, many things that falls under the category of non-essential beliefs for Charter Oak Church. This is a non-essential belief for Charter Oak Church. If you believe in abstaining from alcohol, that is wonderful. God bless you. That will not cause division within our church. Because there are other people, including our pastors, that believe that it is okay for a Christian to enjoy alcohol as long as it doesn't cause an addiction for you. It is really okay for you to consume alcohol. You have the right to enjoy alcohol. In fact, you as a Christian have the right to enjoy a lot of things. May I allow Paul to give us a little bit of a caution that comes in the way of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Be careful that the exercise of your rights, somebody needs to hear this, be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to somebody else. To the weak, and that doesn't mean what we think of it today in our society, it's not a weak person, it's a, somebody who's, who's not as far along in their faith. I would also think this includes somebody who just has a different theology. Make sure your rights don't become a stumbling block to somebody else. In other words, how you and I exercise our freedom matters, Christians. I'm going to say that one more time because somebody needs to hear it. How and when we exercise our freedom matters. It matters. If we are in fellowship, if we are physically present with a brother or sister who has an issue with alcohol and an addiction, is that the right time to practice our freedom? No, it is not. Just one example, I will tell you in my past, I have used my rights to excuse poor behavior. 
Can I say that one more time? Because maybe I'm not alone. I have used my rights to justify poor behavior. Paul writes in chapter 6, I have the right to do anything you say, but I say this, not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Do not let your rights become an idol. Christian, let us not let our rights become an idol. Because it's not about you. We ought not to let our rights become an idol. And this question may not necessarily be about alcohol. Perhaps this question is about our Christian witness. And Paul again writes in Romans, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. And so friends, at all times, it's not just about you and your rights. It is about your Christian witness, which is very, very important. How are we leading other people to Jesus Christ? That's what's important. So Father God, help us with our witness. Father God, we have the gift of eternal life. Is it our biggest desire to pass that gift along to other people? Help us to understand what true freedom is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next question. We have two more. Next question. Definitely relates to the last one. Is there any biblical reason to avoid the use of cannabis? Is there any biblical reason to avoid the use of cannabis? I will tell you a couple years ago, this question would have been a lot easier to answer. As a theologian, I truly believe that God, Jesus Christ, Paul after him, Peter after him, calls us to do something with the government. It's a very, very clear relationship how we are called to act towards the government and we Christians are called to obey the government, whether we like it or not. And this question was a lot easier to answer a couple years ago when the use of cannabis was just illegal across the board. And so as a theologian, I would have said, hey, whether I like it or not, the government on this issue says that it's illegal, so I'm going to submit to authority and not do it. That's my teaching on this particular issue. Jesus didn't talk a lot about our relationship with the government, I think because Jesus didn't care all that much. Jesus cared much more about the government of the kingdom of heaven than he cared about the government of the kingdom of earth. And we talked about the exercise of our rights. And I think also going back to this issue of obeying earthly authorities, not just the government, but we are called to obey the authorities over us, whether we like it or not, whether they are just or not. There's only one instance where we Christians disobey the government. That's if the government tells us to stop talking about Jesus. Then we disobey. And by the way, we still suffer the consequences of disobeying, by the way. And a lot of brothers and sisters across the world are suffering the consequences of disobeying the government as they are willingly going to jail and willingly dying 
because they will not stop talking about Jesus. Anyway, back to cannabis. A little bit different answer now that the use of medicinal marijuana and CBD oil is legal. And frankly, now that it's easy or now that it's legal, this also makes it a relatively easy answer for me, which is this probably falls under the category of alcohol use. And if it falls under the category of alcohol use, let me repeat the same warning as Paul gave us about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. If it's legal, you as a Christian have the freedom to make your own choice. You have the freedom to make your own choice. Christians, you have the mandate to not cause another brother or sister to stumble. You have the mandate to not do anything that causes you harm or addiction. If it's a help to you, God bless you. If it's a harm to you, please have the wisdom to know the difference. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us dominion over all the earth. Thank you for giving us so much that we can enjoy, so much that helps us and heals us. Lord God, help us to also understand that anything can become an idol. And we can become addicted to anything. Lord God, give us the wisdom to discern what is right from what is wrong through the power, not of our own, but of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Final question. Now, this goes back. We're, we're getting away from society now. We're going back into the theological. It's a really, really good way to end this series. Somebody asked, how am I both righteous and a sinner at the same time. How am I both righteous and a sinner at the exact same time? Great question. That's our Christian witness. That's who we are. Our confession as Christians is we are sinners in need of a savior. That's who I am. That's who I am. We are sinners in need of a savior. Let's start with the sinner part. We talked about this last week. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Last week, if you'll remember, we said sin is the biggest problem on the planet. We don't have a violence issue. We don't have a drug problem. We don't have whatever. We have a sin issue because everything else falls under that. Sin is a cancer. It's a disease. It's an addiction. And we must get rid of it. We must get rid of it. But that's the deal. We can't get rid of it. There's nothing that we can do about sin. It's too powerful. It's too much of a temptation. Praise be to God that he took care of it. He took care of the sin issue on the cross. He removed the cancer from the patient. And all we need to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus' sacrifice was so powerful that it covers our past sin, our present sin. Friends, it covers our future sin. We as Christians desire to look more like Jesus all the time, but we will fall short. Was Jesus' sacrifice enough to cover your future sin? The answer to that question is yes. And so praise be to God, we are living in a reality where we can be both sinners and saved at the exact same time. 
Paul outlines this dichotomy in Romans chapter 7 and 8. We're not going to read any of this just for time purposes, but please today go home and read Romans chapter 7 and 8. Read the whole thing. It'll take you five to seven minutes. If you, if, listen, I'll save you three hours of your time today. Can I show you how to save three hours of your time today? You don't need to watch the Steeler game. They're going to get crushed by Philadelphia. You have three hours to read scripture and pray to God. Would you take up that challenge? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm kidding. Aaron's look, my wife's looking at me right now like, are you going to do that? I have Philadelphia's running back on my fantasy team, so I need to make sure that he... I hope he runs for 300 yards and that the Steelers win. I'm not hating on the Steelers. I've gotten way off track on this. Would you read Romans just chapter 7 and 8 today? Commit to it right now. Just do it. You'll find that interesting dichotomy where Paul admits that he is both a sinner and saved at the same time. It's absolutely fascinating. It's in Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, I know what right is, I know what to do, but I'm so sinful and so addicted to sin that oftentimes I can't even do what's right. So Paul laments that reality and at the same time he rejoices in the fact that he is made righteous by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The interesting about Romans 7 and 8 is that both of those terms are in the present tense. Paul didn't say, I was one way and now I'm the other way. Paul admits that I am both a sinner and I am saved at the same time. That's how that reality works. Church, we've taken four weeks to do something that I hope was what was, was fun maybe, but certainly beneficial for you. We love opening ourselves up to answer your questions. We're not ashamed. We're not ashamed to give you the answer as long as it's grounded in God's word. I'm sure you have more questions. I'm sure some of our answers made you think of more questions and follow-up questions. Please keep asking those questions. Ask your small group. Ask your fellow brother, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Ask me. I would love to have coffee with you at the White Rabbit to keep talking about these questions. A lot of people have said, man, <laughs> you, but you, you, for, you forgot about this or you forgot. We had about five to six minutes to answer each one of these questions. We left a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor. I would love to keep talking to you because you have questions. Do not let them go unanswered. Don't put on a mask. Don't pretend like you or I are perfect and we know everything. And by the way, with these questions that we answered about our non-essential beliefs, we may very well be wrong about our interpretation of these answers. I am sure that when I am before the throne of God, God is going to say, my son, welcome home. I'm so glad to see you. Here are all the things that you got wrong in your theology. <laughs> but you know what God just told me? Welcome home, son. It's good to see you. We can disagree about these non-essential things. What we have to keep essential is the main thing. Do we know we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? And are we going out into our community to offer salvation to other people? That's the question I want to throw on you.
as you were so good to give the pastors of Charter Oak Church your questions, I want to just ask you one thing. What are you going to do about the salvation that you have? Let's pray.